Hello everyone and welcome to episode 75 of the Talking Football Podcast. My name's Derek Clark and every week we try and bring you a top-class interview with some of the biggest and most colourful characters involved in the game. This week I had the pleasure of chatting to the former Norwich, Scarborough, Clyde and Partick man Jamie Mitchell. Jamie was one of the hottest young talents in Britain when he had the likes of Rangers, Spurs and the Canaries chasing his signature. He chose Carroll Road and despite progressing through the ages he was let go. He gives us an insight into how tough that was. The ups and downs on the Yorkshire coast starting for the Billowee and Thistle and dealing with a groin injury that cut short his career. It's another fascinating interview and a real eye-opener into how tough being a youth player was in the 90s. Jamie was a cracking guest and, as always, has plenty of stories to tell. So sit back and enjoy the latest episodes of the Talking Fitball podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the Talking Football Podcast. I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line this week by former Norwich Scarborough, Clyde and Partick man, Jamie Mitchell. Jamie, thank you very much for coming on. You're welcome. Delighted to be here. Um, Jamie, let's look back at the, the career then. Um, were you born in, in Glasgow? You grew up in, in Fernhill, didn't you, in Rutherglen as a, as a young boy? I did, yes. Yeah. So, born in Glasgow, grew up in, as you say, in Fernhill. For the first kind of primary school years, I was there um, up until the age of twelve, <clears throat> and then I moved to I moved to Norwich when I was twelve. Um, so yeah, a big a big change from from Fernhill, which was the nicest area to be honest, <laughs> uh, to, to Norwich. So a massive change for for me and the and the family, but it was a brilliant experience. Yeah, but can you always remember sort of playing football as a as a young boy growing up? Yeah, so. I it was just from a from a young age. My mum and dad were they're big football fans, so uh, my dad used to take me out on a Sunday and stuff, and just play at the weekends. And I seemed to be not too bad at it. It's in it's in the family. So my cousin played professionally for a wee while. My dad was pretty decent. My mum could have went to Italy, so she tells me as a professional. Wow. <laughs> the next Rose Riley apparently back in the day. Aye. Um, so it was kind of in the genes, and then. Uh, yeah, I wasn't too bad at it. I played for Rangers Boys Club and uh, started at under-10s. And yeah. then we were quite successful, played in tournaments all throughout the UK and uh, we won most of them. Um, and then, yeah, I just got from a few different clubs and, and Norwich offered us the best deal. So, as yeah. a family, we just decided to to move there. Yeah, but it's a, big, it's a big move, isn't it? Because it wasn't just yourself that moved down there, your family as well. It's, did, did they have much say in your decision as well? Did, did you have the sort of that lasting say on that one? Uh, no, not really. It was, um, as I say, so I was, I was playing for Rangers Boys Club and I was and back in those days you had, I don't know if guys will remember, but if you were spotted by clubs, you would go and train with that, that club in the evening. So, you know, at that time I was training with, with Rangers, you know, over at Ibrox and Albion Car Park. Um, it's now the car park, sorry, but it's Albion training ground then. I had Tottenham in for me, I had Hearts, I had quite a number of uh, of big teams, but it turns out Norwich kind of pushed the boat out, we felt, and, and, and made us feel the most kind of wanted, and uh, offered us, you know, a pretty good deal in terms of a house and all that, and got my dad a job down there, so they really, as I say, pushed the boat out, gave me a seven-year contract, um, so it took me up to I was 19, um, so this was back in 1990, so it would take me up to, you know, kind of the 96, 97 season. So from a, from a kind of 
a long-term career path and the, and the fact that they seemed to, to promote a lot of youth players at the time. You know, they would get their chance and the first thing we felt it was the best option for me. But ultimately, I think the decision was with, I think my mum and dad kind of made it. I was just 11, 12-year-old, so I was just, you know, I was just wanting to play. I wasn't really thinking about it too much, but it was more like an adventure because I was training in Norwich at that time as well. And then we would go to youth tournaments in Austria, Sweden, Denmark, and, you know, playing all over Europe with Norwich under 11s and 12s at that time as well. So I felt part of it from a really young age there. So it just felt the kind of natural move to, even though it was such a long distance away. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was surreal, to Aye. say the least, because I went to Cathkin High School in, in Rutherglen yeah. and, you know, the kind of press got wind of it and stuff because it was meant to be all kept quiet. So I, I don't think it was, I don't know the legalities behind it at that time, but taking a, a young boy from, a kind of schoolboy form from Scotland to England and I, I just don't know behind the scenes how it looked, but uh, the daily I could get wind of it and stuff, but we managed to keep it out of the papers and I just didn't turn up to school one day at Cathkin High and I was away. I was waiting on it, so it was uh, it was pretty weird. And then uh, they organised my schooling down there, and then just went to to school down there. But everybody at the school knew I was coming down there, so it was like at 12, 13 year old, I just felt like I kind of not a mini celebrity. I don't mean it in that way, but just everybody knew me. Aye. And it was like, really weird for me coming from this small place up here to to down there, and everybody knew me. So it was a bit of pressure at that young age, but I, I kind of. I don't really think of it as pressure at that thing. Yeah, but see, you mentioned school and all that sort of thing. You'd have pals in that at, at school, and then next thing you know, you, you disappeared down south. Was was that harder? Did you just that not bother you so much, Jamie? I think because I mean I'm an only child. I mean I was always close to my parents. It was I had friends up here, but my first and foremost, I was always just I had quite a good discipline from a young age that I wanted to make it as a footballer. I was tiny, I was really small, so I always had it. You know, I had to be kind of disciplined and, and, you know, kind of forsake the fact that I'm going to Swanee to just make everything, you know, as, work at it as best as I can to make sure I give myself the best possible opportunity. So I had friends, but I didn't bother me to move. They knew, um, given the accolades, given the fact that I was going to cross playing Europe and stuff like that, you know, they, my, my friends and people at school knew that I was pretty decent at football, but uh, it didn't bother me moving at all. It was more my mum and dad, cause they had to learn, which was hard on her sister and stuff. But they made that sacrifice for me, as I say, because I was only a child. So for them, I think they just seen it as the best opportunity for me to, to make it as a professional. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, you had your heart set and being a footballer. Could you sort of put your, your heart into your other subjects at school and that sort of thing? Or did, is that something that you just you couldn't be bothered with? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mum always tells me I was quite clever, but you know, I suppose nowadays I, I, I'm not too bad, but... Um, I didn't really, bother, I, I didn't really try at school because I knew I had, I knew I was going straight into a, a professional right. contract with Norwich, which wrongly, I, you know, I, I didn't study or anything like that. So I just really, I got an A in GCSEP. I remember that, but I, I didn't uh, <laughs> bother with the rest of them, which is, you know, in, in hindsight in later years, obviously I should have done. But at that age, I was just fully focused on, yeah, you know, playing and training. That's all I done. You know, I go to school and then it was just, I was training with Norwich three times a week. We would play youth team games and it was just gradually as you got older, you got into the, the the kind of schoolboy forms and we're still playing in tournaments across Europe and then you become a YTS and then a professional. So I had it all kind of mapped out in front of me yeah. uh, and that was my, my, my kind of focus. Nothing would alleviate from that. 
Yeah. Um, coming through at Norwich as well. Did I mean in terms of the training and all that? Did you? How did how did you find it all? Was it quite intense? Yes, I think because I had the kind of extra pressure from as I said to you before, people so moving down. There was this expectation of you know this guy, this young lad's coming from from Scotland. They've spent a lot of money on him. They bought us a house, so they bought us you know a really big house. Um, which is unusual. Uh, so I had that expectation and, and slight, I wouldn't say jealousy, but you know, from other young lads who went in the area and they didn't get anything like that. You know, people joined us, you know, from Wales, Craig Bellamy, these guys, they all came, you know, from Cardiff and different guys from London, um, big big name players, but they never they, you know, they never got what I got. So that kind of put a wee bit of extra, extra pressure on it, which made things a bit more intense for me. So I felt Always, if I had to to prove myself, um, to show that they, they were right to kind of spend this money on me. But as I got older, and 15, 16, turned full time. Norwich won the Premiership at that time, so there was some big name players. Now, the problem I had was again the height and weight issue. I was really small and thin, but I technically I, I, I fitted in quite well. I was comfortable at that level, skill wise and tech, technical ability wise. But physique wise, I was I was years behind them. My voice didn't break probably until I was about 15, 16, so I was always a late developer, and, and um, which kind of held me back a wee bit. Um, but when I caught up, 18, 19, I was training and playing with the first team every day. Um, Chris Sutton, Real Fox, Darren Eady, right. Ian Crook, these guys, quality players. And, um, you know, I was, I was in amongst it. I felt comfortable and I was doing well. Yeah. Um, so I felt it was naturally for me to, to progress and go into the first team. It just seemed like a natural... Progression. I think that's how it, everybody saw it as well, but it didn't happen that way. Yeah. Unfortunately, you hear a lot of young boys when when they start training with the first team and having seen it's it's quite daunting and it's it's cutthroat and that sort of stuff. Did you find that or, or did, did that did that no sort of bother you? Um, I think it's cutthroat in terms of I didn't realise at the time. I was probably too naive. Yeah. Um, but I think from first team players, when I got older, you could see looking back at the young lad coming through and they're really enthusiastic and, you know, they've got a bit about them, a bit of skill. They'll not be slow and try to boot you or, or make sure you're not taking their place. But I never really thought of it at that time. It was more my, uh, my immediate teammates and stuff like that. You always felt that you had to be certainly in people in your position. You had to be that one step ahead or they would be your rivals more than the guys kind of in the first team. Yeah. Um, but as I say, you know, I, I was playing, playing for the reserves. I was, you know, I was kind of standing out. I was getting good press. I was Mark Lanil was the manager. He took me aside, and you know, I was, I was, uh, as I say, getting good press and getting good feedback from him. I was still exceptionally thin at the time. I think I was just under ten stone, but I had grown a wee bit, and uh, I was ready. I thought I was ready to go in, but physically I wasn't. And then uh, something happened like with my control and. Next thing you know, you're you're kind of on the scrap heap at 19. Yeah, which probably through no fault of my own at that time, but these things happen. Yeah, you mentioned there, Martin O'Neill. What? How did you find him as a as, as a coach, uh, Jamie? He was a traditional manager as such, yeah. where his presence would be all that was really needed. He wouldn't really get involved in the training. Yeah, it was Steve Walford that done. I think it was the same at Celtic when they went there. It was kind of Steve Walford that done all the coaching and training on a day to day basis, and Martin O'Neill would just kind of be there in the background, just watching, analysing people's body language or how they're training, and then he would 
pull you aside and, and do his uh, his man management in that way rather than doing it in front of everybody else on a Saturday or, or a midweek game. He would make his 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 self known, but on a day to day basis, it was more Walford and, and he would just take you aside. Um, but he, he had that about him from from even then. That was nineteen ninety six. Aye. You know, he, he had that kind of aura about him. Aye. Um, you mentioned Chris Sutton as well. He's, he's a guy that sort of divides opinion. Um, how did you find him as a player back then? As a player, he, he was, obviously because he was a local lad. And as a, when I moved down there, when I was young, he was a couple of years older than me. But you always knew of him because he kind of, he was a name that he knew was, was, was highly rated. But he was a defender at that time. I think he was a centre-half. Wow. And all, he was always really tall, and he kind of stood out because of his physique and height uh, as a centre half. And then he get kind of moved up front, and um, you could see all round player. He was he was excellent, strong, physical, good touch. And but when he went up front, he certainly seemed to go to another level. Um, and he was always a confident person. Yeah. Uh, so I think that helped him. Uh, I was a YTS when he, when when he was there. And then when he moved to Blackburn, I just turned professional. So I never directly really would say he was a teammate of mine. I was more, as I say, an apprentice. But he was my, uh, I, I did have him as a, I was his kind of big boy, if you like, and uh, that type of stuff. But there wasn't much interaction, a wee bit. <laughs> but uh, he remembered me when I played for Thistle when he was at Celtic. So that was good. And um, he's, uh, yeah, he's certainly a character. He's never really changed, I don't think. No, even now, no, he's. Um, I think he's known for his his uh, his forthright opinions on 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 the media. But he was always a kind of wind up guy. But I don't think he means it half the time. It's just a gauge reaction, and he was the same as a player. And even the guys in dressing room, he would throw a few bombs in just to get the reaction. <laughs> so he just does the same nowadays. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, nice lad. <laughs> There's some other cracking players, like you said, the likes of Bellamy and all that, and uh, Real Fox, what a player he was as well. There's some 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 great good players there at the time, wasn't there? Jeremy Goss, another one. Yeah, they had some top, you know, that that game at Bayern Munich when, when Goss scored. I cleaned the books for that game, that's how I claim to fame, but that's why it struck <laughs> off his boot in that volley, but it was the extra shine on it. But uh, he, was, he was decent, but Real Fox was quality. Um, Danny Mills was a teammate of mine Aye. and I grew up with. With Mills, he lived around the corner from me when I moved to Norwich, so we used to go to training together in the car. And you know, there's a guy that probably, if you talk about single minded, he's probably the most single minded person I've ever came across in my life. Yeah, um, he didn't have any friends, he wasn't bothered. His own, his only focus was making it as, wow. as best as he could. And he wasn't the most technically gifted player in the world, but what a determination and will to win he had and that stood him in good stead and he worked on his left foot and he worked on his head and he worked on his tackling yeah. and then we went to a, a tournament in Austria under 12s and um, Mills was there and the coach at the time his name was Kit Carson who was in the papers for uh, misdemeanors shall we say later on which I didn't I couldn't I couldn't believe but um, Kit done this he would do a, a kind of a diary of the tournament or, or the, of the players of each player for the whole week and you come back and you give it to the parents and you go to the coaching staff so it was just a, a bit of analytical data on even at that even in 1990 91 analytical data on each player their skills passing dribbling 
and this is how far advanced they were compared to up here even then. All, the, all your technical skills, and then they would do a, a thing at the end, likelihood to make it as a professional. I can't remember the official title, but it was like likelihood to make it as a professional. And mine was at eight out of 10, and Danny Mills was at nine out of 10. Yeah. Even though I won player of the tournament, and I scored good goals, and I was kind of shining, but even back then, they could see the fact that his determination and will to win, and at 11, 12 year old, and his dedication to his profession, even though it was 12, was miles ahead of everybody else, which is, you know, the guy was proven right because he did obviously have a great career and played for England at the World Cup, and Aye. people can't believe that, but no one, but he did. So that was uh, evident from a young age. Yeah. But these are the type of guys that I was dealing with in the day in there, and it probably helped me later on in my career because it gave me the professionalism, I suppose, later on to, to try and be like that, but I was too late. Yeah. One of these things. When you get let go, Jamie, I mean, how hard was that to be to be told that? And then, I mean, because obviously you're you're thinking you're going to make it here at Norwich. You've been there for several years, and then all of a sudden you're you're without a club. How, how difficult was it to deal with? It was totally unexpected. I remember it like yesterday. Um, yeah, as I say, totally unexpected. I'd been training, playing the first team, going away to first team matches, and um, yeah, I remember. It's, that, it's probably the same nowadays, but the players at the end of their contracts, they get called in one by one. It was Gary Megson as the manager at the time because Martin O'Neill had left to go to Leicester. Um, you get called in one by one to say, right, you're going to get released or here's a two-year contract, here's a three-year contract. So when it was my turn to go in, I had no inkling of this. I had nothing. Um, some of the players were saying, oh, here's a, you know, the favourite get in to get his three-, four-year deal. I was, you know, 18... 18 or 19, I can't remember, 18, 18, uh, and uh, i just done my first year professional, and I got called in, and Gary Megson sat me down, and he said, um, Jamie, I'm going to keep this short, we're going to have to let you go, you're going to have to get released, and I was, you know, couldn't really, you know, I couldn't really, and I was like, really? And he went, yeah, um, it's not in a, a, a house worth, you know, such and such, hundreds of thousands of pounds, and the club needed to, to uh, to sell it, you know, because they need that money. Because I think they just get relegated in, from the Premiership into the the Championship or the First Division, was the thing. So, so he says, you know, it's nothing to do with technical ability. You could you could play tomorrow. I could throw you in. He says physically you're not ready yet, and we can't afford to wait for you to bulk up. Um, so unfortunately, we're going to have to let you go. And I understand you've been here a long time, but you know, there's nothing we can do. And that was it. So I don't say anymore. We're going. To, you've got a month or whatever. And uh, so the chairman contacted my mum and dad and just said, "Look, you know, you've got a month to get out of the house. Jamie's been released. So that's the cutthroat, ruthless world from moving to twelve. And you know, and then in a matter of ten minutes, you're told, um, you know, you're 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 let go. Wow. So it was, um, it was one of them. I was just because I, I couldn't believe it because it was more. It was not as such it was more circumstances that you're told I think it would have been easier for them they said oh you're not good enough or yeah. you know I think that might have been easier for me but the fact it was down to so they say I mean I don't know it could be lying but it does make sense they did go through that crisis in 96 97 and I think they were close to you know going bust but uh, they had that asset so I can understand it now that I work in finance <laughs> yeah 
but yeah, so got got released. But I was lucky. The assistant manager at Norwich at the time was a guy called Mick, uh, Mick Wadsworth. Was assistant in Norwich under Megson, and he got offered the the first team manager's job at Scarborough, who were in League Two, second division at the time in England. Um, so he he got offered that job, and he offered me a deal um, to sign for two years. Prom- you know, promised me first team football, and at that stage, but you know, it was, it was league football, and uh, Motherwell, I could have tried back up north under Alex McLeish. Um, Brian Gunn, the Norwich goal at the time, was really friendly with Alex McLeish, and he recommended myself to, to Alex, and I went up and met uh, Alex in his office at Motherwell, and, uh, but it was more, it was, a, it was a kind of short-term deal to see how, if we liked each other, whereas the Scarborough one stayed in England, and it was a two-year deal, so I, I took that one. Um, which I'm glad I did, to be fair. Yeah. When your mum and dad get moved out as well, did they go come back up the road? They, they didn't at that stage, no. I think they, um, they, they had a month, but they ended up getting three months um, yeah. to get their stuff together and get out. My, uh, to cut a long story short, my mum had made a really good friend down there who had her own business. And uh, fortunately for them, she, uh, she had a, a kind of flat at the top of it. It was an old, people, an old person's home. And uh, she owned the home, and she had a, a flat at the top of the old person's home. She, she said to my mum my and dad, you can live in there until you find your, until you decide your next steps with Helen. So I call her, Helen's like an auntie, I mean, she was, a, she was amazing. And um, my mum and dad moved in with her. So strange, but uh, I went and got my own flat, which was a totally different story, which is great. And uh, they moved in with, with Helen. So so yeah, they were pretty lucky, and Helen was, was great to them. Yeah, but... Moving to Scarborough, then you would obviously play regularly. Or was that was was that good good that you could you could start actually playing football and start your career pretty much? Yeah, it was amazing. That was amazing. Um, I went in with a kind of I think I was quite blinkered at the time because I was came came from was that background and Norwich and everything done for you in the Premier League and, and I couldn't find the stadium, so I went into a petrol station. I said, "Can you tell me where?" The Scarborough Football Club Stadium is uh, apparently it's on Seymour Road. That's the call. That's the name of the road, Seymour Road. And this is Seymour Road, and I can't seem to see it. I said, "There's a wee sports ground across the road." I says, "But that can't be. It looks like an amateur stadium." She went, "No, that is that is it." And then, which was, you know, when I look at it, look back now, it was just totally silly. But it was a, uh, yeah, it was a nice wee stadium, but it was a great wee setup. It was. Yeah. It was amazing for me. It gave me my first team debut. I was playing, you know, like I mean, a lot, of, a lot of guys nowadays in Scotland they want to go and move to England and play. So I'd done it, but I'd done it the opposite way. Also, I started down there and yeah. moved back up here. But in hindsight, I maybe should have stayed down there. You know, yeah. I, I started well. I was doing well. Scored a few goals in a in a hard league, a good standard, and um, two great years. Yeah, really connected with the fans, and we used to get five, six thousand every game, you know. And we got into the playoffs. We got an English League playoffs to get into League One. And I think that was a crossroads for Scarborough. If they'd been up then, I don't think they would have had the troubles that that happened a few years later. They get relegated in 1999 with that last minute Jimmy Glass header, Aye. and they just went, they just went dumb. I don't think it was a header absolutely. Jimmy Glass was a goalie, wasn't he? Aye, that's right. Yeah, Kelly uh, for Kalio, and I think that. And they, that's right. And that relegated to Scarborough, and then they just went downhill and ended up getting they gone bust. So, you know, it was such a shame. And it's a little now, the stadium. Uh, so, uh-huh. 
I still got friends down there, and I went back and played Legends game, as they call it, um, a year last year, in their new ground, and there was a few thousand there, and it was great, and it was great to be back, and um, I had a wonderful time there. Yeah, really good. Apart from Wadsworth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was good. Before, before we talk about him, there was uh, something I was, I was looking at the sort of players that, that, that were there at the time. Um, was John was John Burridge there for for a wee bit? Did he turn up was for a wee spell? He did. He thought he came. I think he played most teams, didn't he? And for the UK, <laughs> but he he came alone for a few games. Um, he was off the scale. Um, but John K was there. He was a right back. Played for Sunderland. The Milk Cup. Gary Bennett, the, yeah. the centre half. Uh, for Sunderland, he was there. Andy Ritchie, the striker that used yeah. to play for Man United in Oldham, yeah. And Andy was a great player. Um, so we had some. We had Paul Heckingbottom was there. It ended up Hibs manager oh, yeah. a couple of months ago. Uh-huh. Paul Jack Ross, yeah. So yeah, we had some good players and um, right good team. And Wadsworth, for all his uh, misdemeanors, was a great coach. Uh-huh. Tactically aware, so we had a really good system that 4 3 3 that Rangers are playing nowadays with the two number 10s and the nine. We kind of played that in 1997, so it was quite successful. So, yeah, great time, but good players, really good standard. Yeah, so the, the fallout then and uh, your departure from Scarborough, how, how did that come about? So, I'll say it's 50% my fault, 50% Wordsworth fault, right? So, uh, he was a great coach, um, tactically brilliant. Um, but his man management skills were, were pretty poor, and uh, which probably prevented him from going, you know, managing a higher up team. But uh, he, he used to kind of really annihilate the young players, me in particular. I think it was maybe bowled out of frustration with him. But if I lost the ball, for example, you know, he would be off the bench, just absolutely annihilate me in front of everyone. You know, even in training, it got to stage if I lost it, if he tried something that didn't come off, it would just be. You know, you knew you were just getting annihilated, and uh, you know, proper dressing downs, not just me saying that. It was proper, you know, a caning, shall we say? Yeah. And um, that combined with the fact that maybe my off the field activities wasn't as professional as I should have been. Um, you know, I was probably going out too much and enjoying myself too much as a young lad at nineteen, and a kind of seaside town. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, you know, as you probably expect, that mum and dad, like we said, were down in, in still in Norwich, and I was four hours away in Scarborough, and I had my own place. So we finished training at twelve, and it would just be straight to the pub and playing pool, and you know, and having a good time. Um, and I used to phone home every day. I would phone home just to, like I mentioned earlier, on the chill thing. You would just check in, you know, how you get on, blah blah blah. But I remember a time I hadn't phoned for a couple of days, and I think they were worried about me. Before the days of mobile phones, of course, and um, I remember lying in bed, and I was I was I was pretty drunk, <laughs> and uh, my door flew open. And it was two policemen. No way. Two policemen just uh, bar- bar- no barred the door down because my door was open, but they kind of forcefully opened it and uh, see me lying there and started shaking. Jamie, Jamie, I was like, yeah, what, what is it? <laughs> And I uh, said, oh, your mum and dad have phoned the station. They're worried, <laughs> They're worried about it. They've no health for you in two days. And I was so all right, officer, I'm fine. I'll contact them. He says, apologies for wasting police time. <laughs> so 
because I hadn't phoned home, they'd phoned Scarborough Police Station and Jesus. they tracked me down on flat. It was unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, so I was I was just kind of going out too much and there was a group of us that, that played for the club that lived locally. All the yeah. kind of big-name players lived with their families in kind of York, Leeds, Wadsworth, lived in Pontefract, which was a couple of hours away. So we were left our own devices, really. And uh, just, yeah, just having too much fun. So there was that, but I was still playing and, and and you know training, but I wasn't as sharp as I was when I fought the first kind of six to nine months. Yeah. Uh, so that combined with the Wordsworth kind of treatment of me, which you know maybe he was getting wind of me going out as well and could see the slight decline in me. So as I say, there's, there's an element of it's, it's my fault, but I really needed somebody, to, a senior pro or somebody to put their arm and get you focused again. But that kind of never happened. See, see as a player, so, but, yeah, I was going to ask as a player. I know he, he was getting on at you all the time and that sort of thing. It was. Were you more of one where you'd like an arm round the shoulders as opposed to going ballistic at you? And did you did you did you challenge him when he when he was? Ah, yeah, I was I was more of a, of a player that liked the the arm round the confidence do better that type of thing rather than the you know the pinned up against the the dressing room wall as such, which kind of happened a few times. Wow. Um, I mean, I didn't help myself one time when I was already in the bad books, but we just played Hartlepool and uh, we lost three 0 and it was like Boxing Day or something. And uh, not to give it the sob story, but I had Christmas Day on my own a lot before it rained. <laughs> as you do as a professional, but obviously I was living on my own, so it didn't, it didn't bother me. But we played the next day. We could beat 3 now. Rangers were playing um, Rangers were playing Celtic. And uh, the whole family, myself, I was a big Rangers fan. So Rangers were playing Celtic. We'd lost 3 now at Hartlepool. So I sent one of the youth team boys. I says, go out and find out the old firm score, find out the Rangers score for me come back and tell us. So he, he's ran out. Seen on Teletext, whatever it was back in those days. Rangers won, I think it was 3-0. And uh, he come back and says, oh, Jamie, Rangers have won. Rangers won 3-0. I was like, yeah, sure. Beauty. And who's standing there? Wadsworth. So I've never, quite rightly so, because it's a bit of a disgrace, but I was obviously really happy that Rangers had won. But we just, as a professional, been beat 3-0 by Hartlepool. And, uh, I've never had a, a kind of rollicking or dressing down like it. It was unbelievable to the to the extent I think one of the players was going to step in, but I think they were pretty scared of him as well. But he just come right. He just grabbed me, put me against the wall, and just really tore into me. Which you know I can understand. Uh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that. But he kind of tore into me, and you know I made me think. You know. Quite rightly, I'll, I would never, you know, they're paying my wages. I should be professional enough not to worry about Rangers. I should be, you know, <laughs> we should have been winning that day. But uh, I don't think, I think it would have been another player. He maybe wouldn't have been as um, animated as he was. I think he just, it got to the, the stage where the relationship completely deteriorated. Yeah. And through my uh, my work at the moment, I was speaking to a guy that plays, played for Scarborough with me, and he was a really good player, Jason Rocket, great name. So Jason was a centre-half, he ended up Sheffield United Chief Executive. Wow. So, yeah, so a really high-up guy, but Jason, is, uh, his young boy plays for Sheffield United. I think he's about 14, 15, the youth team. Yeah. And um, who's the youth team coach there? Mr Wadsworth. Wow. So, uh, so a couple of weeks ago, Jason was speaking to, to Wadsworth, so I said to him, I'll just tell him uh, I was asking for him and I'd love to have a conversation with him now that I'm uh, a bit older. 
uh-huh. uh, and he was laughing and he said he would, but I don't know if that will ever happen. But I would love to have played under him maybe when I was 26, 27, 28. It would probably been a bit a different story, you know what I mean? But I don't want to sit here and make excuses for the reason why it didn't work out right from at the end there. But, you know, there was valid kind of factual information what happened. and. Yeah. Um, so after two years, it just my contract was up, and um, again a bit of knowledge. You get called in, and I remember him sitting there and said, "You're my biggest disappointment." Oh, wow. uh, you know, one of them, 21 year old. You're my biggest disappointment. You went from from there to there. You could be, you should. I know, it shows maybe he was right. It's just the way he was communicating it. You know, you should be playing at Premiership level. You've got all that ability, and you're throwing it away. And, you know, maybe I didn't handle it right. He says, but you're my biggest frustration. He says, so I'm just going to release you. And then he says, well, in fact, what I'll do is I'll offer you less wages. Yeah. I'll give you another opportunity. But you'll need to pay your own flat and all that. So when I was at Scarborough, it was, um, they paid the flat for me and stuff like that. So basically my wages was just mine to use. Aye. But now he was offering me less wages and I would have to pay for the flat. So me being me, I went, nah, I'm not. I'm not having that. And he says, right, on you go then. He says, there's been a couple of, there's been a couple of clubs in for you, he says, but I can't remember the name. This is the type of guy he was. I can't even remember the name. I was like, well, tell me who they were. He says, ah, Hartlepool, I think. I don't know, I can't remember. And that was it. Walked out the office and cleared my flat, back down to Norwich, and mum and dad like that, you know, and, <laughs> and Helen's house, and they're... Uh, and my caught at that point, you know, I, I was going to go like that. I've had enough of this. Yeah. You know, I've I've just been released by a League Two club. You know, the pressure just it got to me. My confidence was down a bit, and I I just thought I, I I can't do it anymore. Yeah. I think mentally at that time, you no know, thinking back, it was it was a, a kind of tough time. I remember breaking down in front of my dad just like that, just breaking down and. Wow. I think it was maybe the seven years, eight years pent up frustration up from Norwich, you know, kind of wonder kid, and then just a yeah. slope downhill till they got to this stage where at 21, you're kind of on the scrap heap, yeah. and then everything had happened. So I, I kind of, I think that was a point where I was like, I can't do it no more. And then my mum kind of grabbed me <laughs> and said, we are no sacrificing the less for you to give it up. You know, you're only 21, you'll get your confidence back, you've still got time. And I was like, no, no, I'm done. And then she just kept at me and at me. And then, uh, unbeknown to me, she'd been faxing back in those days as well, fax before emails, uh, faxing and kind of writing to, to chairman at clubs to, to give me an opportunity. And uh, and Clyde gave me an opportunity. Um, Ronnie McDonald. I don't know if you know Ronnie. He's uh, great guy, Hamilton, yeah. Tracking guy. Yeah, so Ronnie and Alan Maitland. So Alan's the chairman of Hamilton now. Yeah. They were at Clyde, and um, he got back in contact. With, he got back to mum and said, "Yeah, we give him an opportunity. Uh, tell him to come up." So I was like, ah, "I didn't want to go. Yeah. Been away from Scotland for for nine, ten years." And uh, mum was like, "Get your ass up the road, go." <laughs> so I went up, drove up. I admit it was like January time, so I hadn't really played from being released in Scarborough at nineteen ninety eight. From the playoff final, that was a final game, to uh, January '99. So that eight-month period, I hadn't really done much, and um, I signed on and everything. Signed on the dole and everything. 
mental. Oh. And uh, drove up and trained at Broadwood. And then they offered me a deal. And I took it and then it just kind of grew from there and kind of got my confidence back a bit and started believing myself a bit and I started to shine and Clyde with, with building up a good team with the, the kind of junior players that came through at that time. Um, Ronnie had built, you know, his network of junior players and Jack Ross, Mark McLaughlin, um, Richie McCuskey, Andy McClay, really good players. We got to the first one league, won the second division. And then I was just kind of got to 22, 23. I was getting better and better. And the early promise, I was filling out a wee bit. And the early promise started to to come to fruition as such. Yeah. And Ali Maitland was great for me. You know, gave me so much confidence and just let me go out and play. And uh, polar opposite from Wadsworth. And I just kind of got to the stage where I'd, I felt like, you know, every time I was playing, I was kind of standing out. And then a few teams come in for me. and. Clyde wanted to be signed sign again, but Ronnie had left for Hamilton at that time. Alan Kelly was manager. Alan's a great guy as well, but I just felt now was the time to go to the Premier League and, and give it my best shot. And uh, I signed for Thistle, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, which is a really um, kind of you know quick two, three years I've told you there, but you know, it was, I can't emphasize enough the level I was at when I joined, the lowest of the low. Compared yeah. to when I left, and that was all kind of down to to Alan, and I'm thankful to this day to him, and I still keep in contact with him. Um, yeah, great. I went played a year, three years in a row. Yeah, you know, and really had a good relationship with the fans until I left, uh-huh. and that's kind of still seconds me a wee bit to this day about how it it panned out with Clyde, but you know, I was on. I don't mind selling £50 a week when I first joined as part-time and I could have left a few times. Yeah, I had a cheque to go and, you know, bank your own cheque in a, the Royal Bank of Scotland every week, £50. It was a total embarrassment, it was a, you know, but, you know, and I could have left a few times, but I was loyal to them uh-huh. and I stayed right to the end. And I think it's obviously because I joined Party Thistle, but I just fell in love with... John Lambie, that sounds wrong, fell in love with him, but you know what I mean? Aye. And uh, when I met him, he just kind of had a, he just, he reminded me of, in a way of, of Martin O'Neill as such. Aye. It was, it was more about, he wasn't a coach at all. He was just his style and the way he was, he was magnificent. Yeah. And uh, I knew as soon as I went in and met him, I met him that I was signing for him. Despite, you know, Hearts were interested, Motherwell, uh, they'd come in for me, but I joined Thistle. Yeah. You know, and I signed a two-year deal. And, uh, yeah. So, great times. Yes, you said that it sort of ended sourly at Clyde. I mean, I've seen you saying before, Jamie, you get, you get death threats and all that. I mean, that's just, that's mental. Yeah. Um, I had, had seen on a few of the forums and then I got warned a couple of times to... They stay away from certain places. And I think it's because I had such a good affinity with the fans at Clyde and I'd obviously come through, won the second division and the journey from me starting to where we'd ended up and the play of the year three years in a row, the players and the supporters play of the year and stuff. And um, obviously that's their big rivals is, is Clyde, Thistle. And um, 
I did realize I, I did realize it at the time, but again, I don't know if it was naive of me, but it was more I thought I felt right. I've given great service. I was on that shite money. This is an opportunity for me to play in the Premier League. It's a two-year deal. It's Lambie. You know the fact that I'm going to play to this is it's a different league. Um, you know, so maybe I, I, I think what actually happened was I got a player of the year award for Clyde, and uh, one of the fans asked me if I was leaving for Thistle, and I said I can't confirm or deny, even though I knew deep down that was Aye. in my head that I was going to be joining. But I didn't want to stand there and say Aye. I'm joining Thistle. You know what I mean? And I think it's the fallout from the way it happened rather than me joining Thistle. I think it's how it happened, not you know actually what happened. So. Uh, it is a bit frustrating because I had great times there and I won, as I said, those bloody year awards. And I went back a couple of times and the fans started singing about me and all that. And it's like, you know, what, what can I do, man? It's uh, one of these things. And I'm sure most of them would have done the same thing when their wages are getting doubled and um, yeah. trying to play at Irox and Celtic Park and against Henrik Larson and Ronald Depeur and these guys and test yourself at that level. It's a kind of no-brainer for me, but it was the way it happened, I think. Exactly. Uh, you mentioned Lambie was there, of course. They had some right characters in, in that team at that time, didn't they? But was Chick Charlie there when you were there? So Chick had um, Chick come back, yes, when I when I joined. Um, he got registered as a player. He was a kind of coach at the time under Aye. Lambie and Jerry Collins. Aye. And they registered him as a player as well. So we, I remember him coming on a couple of games at 38 to take set pieces. <laughs> Uh, but I think he'd um, certainly mellowed a lot from when he was, uh, you know, a few years before when he was when he was playing when he was kind of in the height of his career. But he was still a, a, a character um, coming in in his Burberry suits and all that. Uh, great guy, great laugh, brilliant dressing room. I was quite intimidated going into it because even though I'd had that at Clyde and I kind of not a bad reputation, you felt that Thistle, the team that won the league. In the first division, they had such a close knit. You could see a close knit group, which is the kind of teams that Lambie likes to build. Yeah, was all about character and team unity rather than individual ability. So, you know, Stephen Craig and Archie, Martin Hardy, Scott Patterson, yeah. Alex Burns, Jerry Britton, that core group of guys. And for me to go in playing against them a few times, and I scored a few goals against them. I felt a wee bit intimidated by it. Aye. Um, but I quickly passed after a few games and I started to do well and I felt that I became part of the group and yeah, a Lambie's boy as they say <laughs> which was great in terms, in terms of Lambie I've spoke to guys before that played with Thistle under him and um, they say that he used to no train me a ball all week so that come game time you're just dying to have the ball and that sort of stuff and some unorthodox training methods did you find that when, when you played with Thistle? You know, aye. Some some of the the training was was uh, unusual to say the least. And having started at Norwich and having the best of coaches, you know, the best coaches and technical coaches and and what, as I say, was what was brilliant as well tactically for you. Lambie was was totally different. He, he was all about his man management and he's getting inside players' heads and making them better than maybe they actually were and making them go that extra mile or the 110% as such and building a good team unity and being hard to beat. So, but his training 
I never seen that where you know, that never happened where the ball wasn't there during the week. Yeah. But they were unorthodox at times, you know, running up and down Rock Hill Park. Um you know some running from Fleetwood to Blackpool. I remember doing that just along the sea, just because he felt like it. You know, <laughs> Rangers and Celtic were going to Dubai and stuff like that and they went to break and we went to Blackpool in January. <laughs> stayed in the Norbreck Hotel. <laughs> Which is renowned for its uh, <laughs> its character of unbelievable. So, but that again, that's whole part of the. I think he liked that. Aye. You know, and it made people grounded, and that's why we were so successful in that first year in the SPL because the group that he built and the fact that he got into players' heads. None of the superior coaching or you're playing Rangers this week or Hearts this week. This is what you need to do against such. There was none of that. It's what we could do. And, Alan Hutton's debut for Rangers was um, against us at Firhill. And obviously Alan Hutton had a great career, went on, played for Tottenham, nine million, etc. etc. But Lambie's tactics that day was from the kickoff. Put all Martin Hardy, uh, Jerry Britton on the touchline. Yeah. Myself and Alex Bunce to kick off and just to lump it into the corner, chase it, and give Hutton a, a dillion right on the so we're going for the header just to and introduce him into SPL football, right? So Alan Hunt got he got uh, substituted at half time that game. Aye. You know, so you could have all the old fat, all the ta- all the modern way of uh, you know <laughs> tactics and this is what you do against him. He doesn't like his left foot or blah blah blah. The old fashioned again, his mentality and his brain. And that was Lambie's way and we that's why we were so successful that season. They finished seventh time. Aye. And uh, you know, that team then and the standard of SPL then is far superior now. Aye. In my opinion, so I think our team then would have probably been a top six side. I would fancy our chances against your Motherwells and your and these guys. And so, but it was all kind of down to him yeah. and putting that. And it was quite clear when he left, the decline was remarkable. Yeah. Um, so that's no coincidence. Aye, uh, that's you're, you're right there. That scene was was something else in terms of the old firm Rangers when they treble Celtic get the. Got to Seville, of course, didn't in the UFA right, Cup yeah. So, I mean, what was it like coming up against these two teams? For me, being a Rangers fan, I, mean, I always wanted to play for Rangers and um, they run out of Ibrox in front of 50,000. So that was a dream of mine. And to play there, you know, when I think about it, I played there four times and Celtic five times and it was just like amazing. But it, once the game starts, you don't really think about it. You know, and you're playing against top, top players, world-class players, and as you say, Seville and a Rangers treble winning team. And for Rangers to beat Celtic that year, despite Celtic against the UEFA final, just shows you the, the standard of the player. And what that done as well meant, meant that the other teams were strong. Yeah. Because Rangers are a lot of top foreigners, Celtic. So your, your good Scottish players were playing at your heart and your Dundees at that time. Yeah. You know, Ravenelli was at Dundee. I know he's no Scottish, but you know, that's a, the level yeah. of player that was playing for Dundee. And, Hearts of Stephen Presley and Greg Gordon and these guys. So it was a really good time for Scottish football and to be playing at that level at that time was and to score a few goals and do well was was amazing. Um, but yeah, it was yeah we had our dressing room half of them were Rangers fans, half were Celtic fans. So it's funny when you see conspiracy theories about you try and all that. I mean, I was dying to score against Rangers. One of my best mates is a Celtic fan, David Houston. He loved this shout out, right, Dave? And uh, <laughs> he's a big Celtic fan, and I missed a sitter against Rangers that year. 
<laughs> and if I had a score that, I think that was the year Rangers won by one goal. Aye. Won the league by one goal. And uh, <laughs> he said to me, if I had a score that that day, that Celtic would have won the league. And I meant to miss it, but I was dying to score against Rangers. And Aye. every player I knew, because you're either trying to impress them to maybe get a move there or show that you're good enough to be part of that team. There's no way there's players try less or whatever. But that's, you mentioned Seville. Half of our team went to Seville <laughs> to watch <laughs> the UEFA Cup final. And, uh, oh, unbelievable. The battle was tremendous. So had training was depleted that week and Lammy's like, he's enough going. But Jerry Collins was away and you know, half our team was away to watch them in the final. We had a game on the Saturday, so mental, but... Uh, I think only in Scotland you'd get you would find that in the yeah. west of Scotland to cert- certainly, but um, no, it was brilliant. You say about that the, the team's trying. It. I mean, it's, it's the infamous uh, Chris Sutton interview at the end of the the, the Celtic game when he says when you used Dunfermline would lay down. It, it's sort of, that sort of just reminds you what he was like because as a player when you were down at Norwich, just just saying things and I mean, can you really, really mean that? No, I mean it's just madness. It is mad. I mean how. How on earth would that? I know. It just doesn't fathom in my brain how that... I mean, Jimmy Caldwood as a manager, what influences he got? Jimmy Caldwood's obviously as known as a as a Ranger fan, but you could say that about... You could say that about a Thistle goalie was a Celtic fan, so did he let them in? You know, absolutely not. Right. It's ridiculous comment. I think what happened was Rangers were 150% charged and... Completely motivated. Dunfermline probably had their end of season hats on because they're thinking right. of Ian Appa, as all professionals do when you get nothing to play for. And that is the reason why Rangers and Celtic went one five 0 or whatever at command. It was nothing to do with players laying down at all. Aye. I think Dunfermline actually did they no score. Aye, they Quite, like, they, aye a cracker. <laughs> and they nearly went two one up or whatever. So aye. Nah. Aye. But that's another another reason for, for Big Sutty these these uh, comments. Aye. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it started off so well at Thistle, didn't it, um, uh, Jamie? But then you, you suffered a bit of a, a nasty injury and it sort of curtailed your career. How, how difficult was that to deal with? Aye, so see, when, when I'm telling when I've this is a few podcasts I've done now, and when, you're, when I'm relaying it back and when I'm thinking it back and explaining it, I actually did have quite a few knocks when I think back. <laughs> or quite a few hurdles to overcome. Uh, <laughs> When you think about it, you know, houses and parents kicked out of houses and Wadsworth and Thistle and the other time I actually a good time was like, I mean a great time at Thistle was all but Clyde just seemed to go from start to finish was good. But everywhere else always seemed to have a story behind it. I don't know if it was just me. But uh, Thistle again, I signed a two year deal and then when I first joined, a lot of players signed one year deals. I signed two. Hindsight again, maybe I should have signed one. I could have left, and teams were in for me. And but no, then I signed another deal. Again, I could have left, but I enjoyed it there. I was comfortable. I was 26, 27. I thought I'll just stay, even though John Lamb had left. Jerry Collins had taken over. Jerry liked me, and continued. He was there, and uh, so I played the, the, you know, in the the championship. Jerry left. Jerry Britton, Derek White took over. Again, great guys. Good fun with them. And then Dick Campbell took over. But the less said about him, the better. So when I got to my final, you know, it was 
27, 28, I started to get a niggly groin injury and um, I, we didn't know what it was. Um, I continued to play through it and it got to the stage where the fizz was like, are you sure this isn't in your head? <laughs> They've done all sorts of tests, muscle tests. We can't find anything wrong. You guys just have to play through it or you know what actually is going on. Are you sure it's not? Try this and try a placebo effect or whatever. Uh, I was I was getting gradually worse, and they sent me for an X-ray, simple X-ray, uh, um, at Ross Hall Hospital, and then we were playing a pre-season game against Fulham, and I got called into the manager's office, and um, it was when Jerry and Derek were the managers, and when I went in, Jerry were there, Derek was there, the chairman was there, directors, physio, doctors. So there was about nine of them in the wee room, the wee manager's office. Going, okay, what have I done here? And I was trying. It was out that Saturday night. I was, I was trying to, you know. Let's get on. And, uh, and he says, Jamie, we've had your, your x-ray results back and we found out the problem your groin injury is. It's uh, actually a deferred uh, pain from your hip, your right hip. Uh, it's arthritic um, and it's pretty, I can't remember the exact words they used, but it was uh, degenerative right hip. And um, the doctor said, you're going to have to retire immediately or Best case scenario is you stop training and just try and play it on a Saturday. He says, because if you train every day, by the time you get to 32, 33, you're gonna, you'll be in that much agony, you would need a wheelchair or a kind of hip replacement. You know, it's, it's such a near, I'm 27, 28, I think, 28, and I'm thinking, that shouldn't really be happening at, yeah. at that age. I just thought it was a, a kind of groin strain, but I made the decision to play through it, not train, so I would just, go swimming and go to the gym Monday to Friday and uh, play on a Saturday but quite quickly your sharpness goes and your touch your touch isn't as especially that level we're still playing against decent professional players and any sign of weakness you're just you know they're, they're quick to to get at you yeah. and uh, it came out I think it came out and Scottish football players knew about it because obviously my teammates knew I wasn't training and they knew it was my app so they would quickly tell their mates and it quickly got out. So opposition players against me would know. And uh, I found myself playing and I was getting a bit stick from the fans because it was the season where we were finishing, you know, we were in the championship and we were near the bottom of the league. Which shouldn't have been happening with the team we had. But quite rightly, the fans were, were getting frustrated because they see me labouring. They're thinking, what's happened to him? Aye. You know, is he no interested? Is he no baller? Does he leave? And is it... But it was because of this injury, and I, I, I didn't want to publicly announce it because then that would be it. It would be out, and uh, I just kept playing through it. And it got to the end of the season. Managed to get to the end of the season. Dick Campbell came in by that time, and um, reported back for pre-season the following season, and I was last in all the the runs, whereas I always used to be at the front. Yeah. And uh, and I got and I said to the physiologist, I can't do this anymore, and um, he says, I think you should stop. I think you should stop. You're doing yourself damage. And I went, I'll just stop. So that was when I was just 28, just about to turn 29. And um, I just stopped. You know, it was one of them. You just, a bit like Norwich, when you get released, you just don't go to training the next day. Yeah. You know, you're just like 12 years and that's it. You know, from 16 to 28. And then you're thinking, and it's not because of before when I was thinking of stopping, I was 21 because of, confidence I didn't want it. it was actually because I couldn't it was your body tail and my hip was that goose that I couldn't play and it was like 
what'd that do, really? <laughs> so I still had a year left of my contract. I wanted me to come in and uh, do a bit of work around the ground and all that to earn my wages, which was another insult. Aye. Um, which caused another catalogue of you know, events where you're thinking, I can't believe I'm getting treated like this. What do you mean? Like clean a stand and all that? Yeah. <laughs> so I was still... Ill. I'd signed obviously the deal a couple of years before to stay and I had a year left on my contract and then they were obliged to pay me such and such per week. It was five, 400 quid, I think, if we went down to the second division. So it was a full-time wage was £400. Aye. And um, they were wanting me to come in at eight in the morning, still interact with the players, but I can be like a YTS again and do stuff around it and we'll give you your wages. Like that. I played over a hundred games and played through the right. pain barrier, and you know, yeah. and you kind of get treated like that. And is it, I mean, that is a cutthroat world of football. As right. happened to me at Norwich, and happened to me at Scarborough, and it happened to me at Thistle. If as soon as you're not wanted, or as soon as circumstances change and you're not part of plans for whatever reason, it's just you're on your ear. Out you go. So right. I obviously didn't do that, and I didn't. I didn't get paid. I took a small payment for the contract that I had for the year. I took a small lump sum. Yep. Saved this all a lot of money. I lost a lot of money, but I wasn't going to come in and not that it's to lower myself. It was just more from a pride in front of the teammates' point of view. Like, yeah, you know, I'd rather go out and, as I did, take a a job on thirteen and a half grand a year because I had no qualifications. I had no nothing. Yeah. Um, we RBS, and I would go in there and earn more money, but to do that in front of my teammates, I couldn't do that. Yeah. So that was it. I just stopped and um, tried to build another career up for myself. Yeah. Which I kind of did, and 15, it's 15 years now, 28, 43, yeah, 43 now. So, um, yeah. You hear, lot, could... you hear a lot of players. Was was it tough, Jamie? Not just the playing side, but you hear that when they stop playing, it's the, the dressing room stuff and all that, that they're missing the training. Was that a big culture shock, Could just to, just to stop that altogether? Yeah, because it's, um, as was evident, like I kind of touched upon with you, like in dressing rooms, you know, Norwich dressing room was full of top players. And as a YTS, I'm going in there and you're getting verbally abused. I had to sing naked at Christmas time in front of the whole professional staff which probably well, if you think back you, know, you talk about the thing that's going on nowadays we had to sing naked on a treatment table in the dressing room Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer okay. <laughs> in the nude? Stan with a on and, no uh, way. and if, you, if you didn't do it you would get absolutely you would get done in you would get made to run around the training pitch in the snow with a on obviously it's Christmas time um, you know and you couldn't not do it because if you didn't do it, you wouldn't have got the management would have looked upon you in a different light because we'd think he's not got the character, he's not got the, he doesn't want it enough, or he doesn't, he's not willing to sacrifice. These are the things you have to do. So yeah. some of the things I had to do was unbelievable, all to just demonstrate that I could have the character to play or become a professional. So to survive in that environment, you need to become or, or be a certain character. I was always quite a quiet boy and quite a fairly shy guy and I had to adapt to become a I'm not naturally quite a, a confident outgoing person I had to kind of make myself become like that and certainly people know me now or when I worked in LBS or Tesco Bank they wouldn't see me as, as a shy retiring 
quiet guy. Yeah. Probably the opposite. But I had to train myself to be like that. I'm not naturally like that. And uh, so to survive in those dressing rooms, you had to adapt and be like that. And then, like I said, you're the physical dressing room and then you become a senior pro. So you do miss... I had to act every day, <laughs> if, you, if you get what I mean, act Aye. to be a certain type of character every day. And then when I didn't have to wow. do that, it's like a total mindset change and a total... Because you're in this football bubble, you've got, you think you're swaggering about, you're an SPL player, you know, you give it the big one. And I did as well. You know, you think you're like a celebrity, you're signing autographs at Scarborough and all that. It's actually a pile of rubbish. Aye. And it's, um, it's not until I left the game and then look back, like, the type of person I am now compared to Aye. when I played is probably totally different. Yeah. And people will say that's mature or age. It's not. It's just because I had to act every day to survive in that world. Aye. It's, um, it's tough. I mean, that's, that, that, that can be mentally draining. It's, that's, that's not right, is it, for players to have to deal with that sort of stuff? No. No, it's definitely not. And I think more, more nowadays it's evident with the mental health stuff. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's, you, you couldn't dream of doing that in a, a dressing room nowadays. You couldn't of treating apprentices the way I get treated, I think David Beckham and Nicky but and these guys at my United have talked about it before, but in the nineties, that was what the dressing room was like. And if you didn't if you didn't adapt to it, you were it was you get annihilated from your teammates, you right. would get annihilated from the management, you would get taken into the boot room and done in, you would get right. as I said, humiliated. And um, it was hard for me because I mean I don't mind sharing this. It was quite evident, but at 15, 16 I was a late developer. Uh-huh. You know, I hadn't fully developed as a guy yet. <laughs> you know, I was my voice was still breaking. I was kind of a, still a young boy, if you like. Aye. And having to go into men's changing rooms where everybody else is a man and developed into a man, and I wasn't. And I had to go through that period. I mean, a lot of boys are 12, 13 when you, you know what I'm saying. Aye. When you're 15, when I was 15, 16, it still hadn't happened. That was tough for me. Uh-huh. You know, and having a in the dressing room and do all that in front of everybody is, you know, it's um, character building to say the least. Aye, you, know? no, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have to be made to do that though, man. That's just that's madness, alien. Now, if you if you sort of brought that up in the dressing room now, you'd be all sorts of lawsuits and all that. But hundred percent, mate. Hundred percent. There could be lots of lawsuits drawn up or you know there's probably a lot of boys with similar stories and you know it was the 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 culture back in the that day you know was was brutal absolutely brutal i mean it's like see in a way though it did and this this will sound weird but it did help me because there's nothing more embarrassing for me or i i can do anything because nothing's going to be worse than that period of time when I had to do that <laughs> in my head I thought nothing can be as bad I mean that probably helped me when I got released because it helped when my career was ended prematurely because of a hip injury it helped me at 33 because I had to have a hip replacement all these things have happened to me which might have put a lot of guys down but yeah I think everything that happened through 12 to 19 kind of helped me prepare for what was to come in later years and it was all that kind of I'm not saying standing on the treatment ta- table naked singing Rudolph that helped me 
but the overall culture and being able to deal with that and do that uh-huh. helped me. So right. not that I'm, you know, saying people should be doing that, but I think there's a there's a piece missing for youngsters nowadays where they do get the they need the character on sweeping the stands and all that. I agree with that. Right. I think that should, you know showing a bit of humility. Yeah. Um, but but not what happened to me, you know. Aye, well, absolutely. Um, you said that you went to RBS. I was at RBS at that that, that time, Jamie. I don't know if you'd be the same. I was in uh, Panic Side and we moved to uh, St. Vincent Street. I don't know if you'd have been there. Was that where you went? I started, fit, um, so my final game for Thistle was against Queen of the South. <laughs> uh, that was the week after the infamous Wraith Rovers game when I went to the pub. Final game was Queen of the South, July to no, no, May 2005 and I started at RBS. I took eight months off. Took eight months off, that sounds, you know, as if I had any other opportunity, but Aye. I had eight months where I'm thinking, what am I going to do with myself? I had a wee pot of money that I'd saved from playing, not know a lot by a stretch of imagination, but then I started with RBS February 2006, so that was, uh, I luckily got offered a job. Never done an interview in my life, but it was at Tannockside, I, and that's where I met Big Dave and uh-huh. David Houston and... Um, and get into that world, uh-huh. which was character building again because <laughs> <laughs> going for Henry Larson to a year before to answer on the phone, do you want a loan? Is uh, for 13 grand a year, do you know what I mean? It's like, aye, I'll do it. That's what I was in my, that was my head. I was thinking, aye, absolutely. It's, I've got no humility. I, I'm, you know, I, I know people laughed at me for it. I know people in the football world laughed at me for it. I know that for a fact. And then but I just had it in my head that this is a start of a career for me and I'll just go up the way and prove people wrong. Uh-huh. And then I started on 13 grand a year answering the phone. You know, as I say, two years before, a year before I was playing at Ibrox and Celtic Park and people in the office couldn't be like, God, how do you handle that? I, I just didn't, it just seemed normal for me. I just kept going daily in my head thinking, like I said to you about the act thing. Yeah. I just had to keep up that pretense of being the confident, oh, this is fine, I'll be able to deal with it. Uh-huh. You know, it, it wasn't because deep down I knew I wasn't happy in my head. I knew I was mentally at that time. Yeah. Look back now, I think I was depressed and I didn't realise it at the time. Um, oh, it's, it's scary. I mean, there have been so many players like that, Jamie, you know what I mean? That are, uh, there's no really the support in that and you need to deal with, with that alone. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. And you see, like, say, your Clark Carlyles and all that, Gary Speed's a, a prime example, isn't it? Yeah. You know, what you sort of shielding for everybody, and they're the kind of most well-known, famous ones. But you know, there'll be a lot of aye. What's more, as you say, there'll be so many players that are, you know, for whatever reason, twenty-one, they're on the scrap peak. Twenty-eight, they're on the scrap peak. Thirty-five, they finish their career. What am I going to do next? And I think it is slightly better nowadays because there is courses and stuff like that. But still, it's not nowhere near the support that people or players need. Um, I get nothing despite giving the game, you know, I lost my hip over it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I moved from Scotland to England, I'd done all that and I lost, I played all those games. You know, I gave my life to it and I lost, as I say, I got a serious injury and I get kind of nothing back when I retired. You know, I had to go and find that myself with RBS and I was lucky Aye. Uh, to be offered the job. And then... But I was left to my and it's that crucial point, as you say, where players can go one way or the other. I decided, right, I'm going to do this. Whereas a lot of players could go downhill and go down a route yeah. of 
a spiral and you know mindset and you don't know where you end up and it can lead to marriage breakups or life or you know debt or gambling or whatever you know so many uh, and it definitely had an impact on me but um i think there should be more support yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was going to ask just before we go, just a couple of questions. In terms of players that you, you played with and against, anyone that stands out as the best and the, the most toughest opponent that you came up against? There's a few, yeah. I mean, the, the easy one would be to say Henry last night because I was playing in the same pitch as him, but a direct opponent. I mean, I knew Barry Ferguson from a young age. Barry's a year younger me at Rangers, so we knew each other from that kind of childhood. It's going up and Charlie Miller. Was, money back, was he his money back then, Jamie? Aye, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember him actually tutting, you know, like that under 11s. He was obviously a year younger than me, but he was playing in our age group. And I done a wee major run and scored. And he was like moaning because I didn't pass it to him, but I actually scored from it because I was quite a shy boy. I didn't really say anything, but he was already moaning then. Obviously, I played against him <laughs> when I was older, and then he remembered me and stuff, which is great. Sparry's a great player. Arteta was different class. Aye. Directly against. Yeah. I played against Dennis Bergkamp from Norwich. Wow. Yeah, wow. which was amazing. I played against for Scarborough, John Barnes and Ian Rush against Newcastle. Wow. Uh, but the best one was against Manchester City for Scarborough. We played them in a pre-season friendly at the old McCain Stadium. And uh, we drew two each. And Man City in the Premier League at the time, obviously they didn't have the stars of nowadays, Aye. but they're still a decent team. But do you remember the guy King Clatsy? Yeah, Georgia King Clatsy. What a player he was! Klatsy. Oh my God, man! Like his feet, he was because I was directly against him as well, and I always thought, you know, at that stage I was doing quite well, and I was quite a Aye. good dribbler and well, different class. Aye. So his speed of thought and his his speed of feet or off the scale. Aye. So uh, I would say Georgia King Clatsy was the best player I directly played against. Uh, he was he was something else, that's for sure. I've name dropped a few there though, right? So I didn't mean that <laughs> <laughs> to get to Conclaxy. <laughs> have, have you got any player shots or anything like that in in, in your house, Jamie, for, uh, for your career? I've got I've got my Norwich shirt. I've got Adi I can buy his Norwich shirt. Aye. I've got John Newsom's Norwich shirt. He used to play for Leeds. And they're all signed actually. I've got my Scarborough shirt, I've got my Clyde shirt, I've got, and I've got my Thistle shirt. Um, I wasn't really into taking other players' shots because I felt they would think they were better than me. Uh-huh. You know, I've got quite a good story about Michael Moles actually, which I'll tell you. But yeah. uh, I didn't like the idea of going give me a shirt as if like uh-huh. I always felt that like, I felt a bit like, oh, here's me giving him a shirt. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Here's where you go, wee man type thing. So uh-huh. I didn't really take opponent's shirts. So I've got my own, but apart from Addies and John Newson, that's because I'm a young boy. But Michael Malls, obviously a big Rangers fan, right? But our kit man at yeah. Thistle, we, uh, we reckon, God bless his soul. Um, he knew I was a big Rangers fan. He says, I'll go in and get you Michael Malls' Michael Moles's shirt. Malls 9 at the back. He says, right, OK, go in and get him after the game. So I played quite well that game as well. And Michael Malls, at the end of the game, had said to me, well played, Jamie. He called me my name and everything. Wow. And that sounds like I'm starstruck here. Right? So he took my hand. <laughs> Which I wasn't, but I was all right, mate. Thanks, Michael. But I played quite well, and he shook my hand and says, Well played, Jimmy. Good game. I was like, oh, buzzing, right? So we're going to address him. Ricky goes and gets his shot. Michael Moore gives him his shot. Ricky hands it over to me, and we, James Grady, goes, 
and I was Pally, I'm Pally with wee James, I've not seen him for a few years, but I was really following back then, great wee guy, and uh, wee James goes, Mitch, nickname Mitch, right, um, can I beg you for that shirt, for ch- I've got a charity event, he says, um, you know, I really, I could really be doing it, it's a big event, it's for kids and all that, and, and me being me at that time, I wasn't that bored, even though I did want it, I didn't want to show, he says to me, I'll get you a Henrik Larson shirt because Rob Douglas was at Celtic and me, James, is friend, really friendly with Rob Douglas. He says, I'll get you a Henrik Larson shirt. I'm all right. I says, here you go. James takes a shirt. Away you go. Did I ever see a Henrik Larson shirt? No, I never see it. I never see a Henrik Larson shirt. So that was the moral of that story. We Grady's a, a thief, which I call him out to this day. But I seen, Mike, I seen Michael Moles a week later in the Monkey Bar in town Hi. <laughs> on a Saturday night I seen him I think Arthur Newman was there and a few of the other Rangers players were there and that because we it was a wee VIP bit and then getting at the old big one again and we get in the VIP bit so there was a few Thistle players there and I was out and I think Jack because I was really friendly with Jack Ross Hi. Jack had come out he was still playing for Clyde at the time I was out with Jack and Jack's a big good looking guy as well you know swathed by Jack so Michael Moore's looking over and he's like, oh, recognising me from the week before when he's told me how well I played. <laughs> and I had a few drinks in me, so I thought, right, what's just like? So I went up to Michael Moore's and I said, oh, hi, Michael, good to see you. Uh, how you doing? Like, and he just went, who are you? <laughs> and I went, so that face, I went, what? I played against you last week. You were telling me how good I was. My kit man got your shot for me. He says, nah, I don't remember you. Away you go. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding? Because I'd had a few drinks. Are you kidding me on? So I stumped it and then the entourage just went like <laughs> Pushed me away and then I went back to tail between the legs to the gut and I just seen the guy just pissing himself off. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm giving it the big one that I don't want to take player shots because I feel in fear or whatever. And then he's just made me look like a... <laughs> so Michael Malls, if Michael's watching this one, get him. Get him told. Aye. Monkey Bar, 2003. <laughs> but I'd have to be shot. So that's a long story. That's a long answer to your question. But I gave it a wee graded. So no, I've not got any other ones apart from my daughter's one. I've done a TikTok video the other day for my work. So my daughter helped me. And it's so cringeworthy. It's unbelievable. 43 doing a TikTok video. <laughs> but it was to, to promote my uh, channel finance, my work, my business. So... I done a TikTok video with all my football strips on, so I went from my Norwich one, Scarborough, Clyde, Thistle, and then into my suit, my shirt and tie on, and because I do commercial funding, so for businesses that need money, so I had my wee business card up. So I done a TikTok video from <laughs> TikTok video, Brilliant. which is so yeah. So I, I I get used to those shirts, but they're so big for it, they're so big on me. I can't believe I used to wear them when I was playing XXL. No fitted numbers when I was playing. <laughs> no, 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 that's for sure. That's it, leads us on to you. What, what is it you're doing now? Well, you said that you're, what you're working as now. What, what you're, what's keeping you busy? Aye, so I worked in, uh, yeah, so I worked in after like RBS, Tesco Bank, for uh, for 10, 11 years. And uh, enjoyed that. Got in a fairly decent position, but I just felt after all that time, I just turned 40. 40, and I was thinking, the old midlife crisis, I thought, this is the only job I've done. There must be something else out there. I was getting a bit bored, and um, because I had that financial knowledge, uh, now I work in um, for a company 
company called Channel Finance. Yeah. Uh, so we are finance uh, kind of finance brokers based in Bells Hill, and uh, so I work in commercial funding. So companies and businesses that need asset finance, invoice finance, you know, normal loans, mortgages, life insurance protection. So I do all that. Uh, so basically, on a daily basis, I work with different companies and give them the old dosh. So any companies, businesses out there that need money, <laughs> you're the man. I'm your man. I get exceptional deals. <laughs> I've got I've got eighty lenders I can go to. So, uh, I that's good. So that's what I do on a daily. I love my job, man. It's brilliant. I good. Um. So yeah. So channel finance. It's great. I can come and go as I please, and um. I just meet different people on a daily basis. So obviously it's tough at the moment with, with COVID and things like that, um, which has had an impact on businesses, but it keeps me busy because a lot of them are needing money. So it's uh, aye, inundated. Yeah, cracking. Well, we wish you all the best, Jim. It's been absolutely brilliant having you on. So thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast. Welcome, mate. Thank you. That was episode 75 of the Talking Fitball podcast with Jamie Mitchell. As ever, I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you want to listen to any previous shows, you can get them all in the archives on all podcast platforms. Be also sure to check out and subscribe to the Talking Fitball website. It's talkingfitball.co.uk. If you're on Twitter, you can follow us at Talking underscore Fitball, and we're on Facebook as well. If you want to sponsor the Talking Fitball podcast, meanwhile, you can do just that if you visit the Get Involved page on the website or email us at contact at derekclarksports.co.uk. Join me again next week, but until then, enjoy the rest of your week. Keep safe and bye for now.